podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. I'm joined tonight by Mike Blank. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Andy, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so I haven't been on the side as much lately as I, as I wanted to be. Got some got some stuff going on in real life, but you know how that kind of goes sometimes. But overall, we're doing pretty good, and, and uh, we're excited to be talking some uh, KU sports with you tonight. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually oddly weird. You know, it's very, very strange how excited I am to talk KU sports tonight, given what happened over the weekend. Um, you know, obviously for anyone that hasn't had their head stuck under a rock, KU lost to Baylor in spectacular fashion. Uh, 38 to nine was the final score. Kansas really didn't get anything going against a team that, you know, has had a very, very bad year. Um, and they were at home, so that makes it even worse. So, um, before I go ahead and jump in, Mike, I, I kind of like to get your thoughts about the game at all. I mean, I, I know you were there, right? Um, we, I was there. Yeah, we had lots of videos from you, which I thought was some some good work, and um, you know, kind of kind of shows just how um, you know. I, I guess in a way, it almost says how qualified our site is to be making the kind of comments that it is. That we, I mean, we still have guys going to the games, you know, still supporting the team, and and bringing us, you know, what we see out there, and just how how bad it is out there, and how bad the morale is of the fan base. Um, so I'm going to let you go ahead and, um, you know, I mean, no one, no one can accuse us of being bandwagon fans or, you know, jumping on because it's a cool thing to do. We have people that are still, um, you know, very, very invested in this team, no matter how much it hurts. Um, that, is, that is absolutely correct. And we have writers who swear every week that they're not going to watch the game, and then they admit later that they did. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was cold. It, it wasn't too windy, so it wasn't actually too bad. But, you know, it was, it was 40s, it was cloudy, it was kind of a yucky game, you know, 11 o'clock. And uh, and uh, David Beatty calls a timeout with like four minutes into the game. Um, do, you, do, you, do you remember that? Yeah, I did not sh- – I wasn't sure what was going on there. It looked like people just didn't know what they were doing, which is kind I'm, of a really bad look. Shocker, right? So four minutes into the game, I yelled down to the sideline, what the hell's going on down there, Turner Gill? And I got numerous laughing out loud from the people around me. So I felt pretty good about that. That's like when you get, like when you send a tweet and you get like, you know, a couple dozen likes or something like that's what that felt like. Like 10 seconds, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. People thought that was pretty, pretty hilarious. So, (laughs) you know, the one, the one time in my life I've actually been funny and it was wasted at a Cape football game with, you know, 10 people in the stands, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> like you said, it was, it was, it was pretty spectacular fashion. Uh, you know, more, more questionable timeouts, you know, converting the fake punt and they call a timeout on the first down afterwards. Like I, I don't understand what was going on, uh, with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the decision-making, I guess, are, are they just not prepared? Like, like, you know, What's going on? I, I wish I would have had my fire zinger sign ready. I, it wasn't ready. You know, I promise I'll have it ready for Oklahoma if he's somehow still the athletic director. 
But I got I got a couple of weeks to get that there, and and you're right. We've been going to every game, and uh, I mean I, I just I don't know what to say anymore. It's yeah, you know, it's like I say on, on on the website all the time. It's a circus. It's, it's what it is. Like you go to be entertained by how bad they are. Like you don't go expecting anything. <laughs> right. This is like I mean this is like you know the bad news bears kind of uh, movie that that we're watching. Because oh, it's totally getting to that level, yeah. That, you, you go into that movie, even if you have absolutely no idea what the movie's about, just the title of the movie, you know, lets you know that, you know, this isn't going to be anything that you really, you know, are going to be, you know, in awe about how good these guys are or anything like that. Um, you know, I think the most damning thing to come out of that game was in the, um, the, the post-game press conference. You know, and Beatty says, and, and again, what, you know, we'll talk about some other instances a little bit later here in the podcast, but, I think what we've seen out of this coaching staff in their recent interviews is that they are unintentionally giving us all kinds of sound bites and giving us all kinds of reasons to doubt their abilities as, as coaching, as, as a coaching staff. Beatty's, you know, responded to the question of, you know, how did this happen? Um, you know, how do we uh, keep, or how do we get to the point that a rebuilding Baylor program you know, that had yet to experience a victory on the season, was able to just blow the doors off of our off, off of our team. And the very first sentence of his response is he had or he he was he was talking about the, the Baylor coach Matt Rule and he says he had his team ready to play. And just think about that simple statement that, you know, they the way that they beat us is they had their team ready to play. So what that means is He's essentially, without really meaning to, I think, acknowledging <laughs> that his team was not ready to play. And if they're yeah. not ready to play, there's really only one reason that would be. It's not that these guys aren't out there giving effort. We hear about the guys, you know, that are, that are trying to fire people up. We hear about how we have such good leaders in the locker room. We hear about all the wonderful things that the players are trying to do, and they're just not able to perform. So if they're not ready to play because BU was, you know, so ready to play that they just, you know, stomped us – that falls back on the coaching staff. They're obviously not able to get these guys ready for every week. And he goes on to make it even worse by saying, I thought they schematically exposed us a couple times on some things that helped them. So again, these are things that, you know, Baylor didn't do anything different in this game than they've been doing all year long. That hasn't worked against anyone else, but schematically they were able to expose our weaknesses. We were not able to prepare for it. So again, it's coming back to, the coaching staff is not getting these guys ready to play. It is not getting them prepared for what they're going to see on the field. And, I mean, I just don't know how much else we can say about them at this point. Yeah, I mean, I saw, definitely saw where you were going to go with that. And, uh, I mean, we've been calling out the coaching since week two, maybe even week one. Um, and, I mean, I know that – well, I mean – probably even longer than that if we want to get into, you know, when to go forward on fourth down and stuff like that. Like we've been calling out the coaching for questionable decisions for the, ever since Beatty's been in town. But I mean, it's gotten really bad this year and it, it goes back to a lot of what you just mentioned that, you know, the coaches are not putting players in positions to succeed. Uh, and I just, and, and, and didn't Deneen kind of double down on that by saying, like saying something to the effect of, I don't have a quote in front of me, something to the effect of, we felt like we had a really great week of practice and they came out here and kicked our butts. Like, that's on the coaches, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, I really do. I really do agree with that. Um, you know, I mean, Joe Deneen, there, there was an article over on KU Sports by, uh, uh, by Benton Smith today. Uh, I'm sorry, yesterday is when it actually posted. We, we are recording this Monday night, so yesterday would, would be Sunday, the day after the loss. And, you know, Deneen actually says, you know, he goes, I, I think the town, the fans, I think they deserve a better performance than the players. Um, he says, and I can't really put it in words. The fan base deserves for us to play better. Um, you know, that, yeah, I, it, but I, he doesn't elaborate. He doesn't elaborate because what the fan base deserves is a competent coaching staff and a competent administration, and they don't have even one right now. But Joe can't come out and say that. And maybe he doesn't know that's what he needs to say. I don't know, but, I mean, that, that's what the arrow points to, right? Right, right. And, I, you know, I mean, just the, the, the story that we're hearing from Janine, or the, I guess the attitude, that we get from Deneen is completely opposite from the coaching staff. Um, you know, Deneen, and actually he, he, he kind of says this, you know, he talks about the, the, uh, the message he got from Beatty afterwards, the whole locker room did. And he goes, I just think he keeps his cool a lot better than I would have. It's getting hard for me to keep my cool. You know, the fans and stuff, they deserve so much better. We're Big 12 football players, and the product we've been putting on the field is unacceptable. And so what we see is, you know, I mean, the football players know that what they're doing is unacceptable. The coaches, all they can talk about, though, is, you know, oh, man, our guys just weren't able to get it today. Uh, you know, we're doing everything yeah. we can, but the guys just aren't performing. But, you know, football is not all about execution. Um, a lot of times what we see as, you know, a guy not doing what he's supposed to do and not, not able to make the play, it's not because he just didn't perform. It's because he's not being put in the right spot. A lot of times close misses, you know, and I would say that some of these, they, they mentioned a couple examples in the article about um, the, the touchdown passes uh, to, to Ish Wainwright and then Jordan Feuerbacher. Um, both of those plays, if I remember correctly, were a guy looked like he was a little bit out of position, but he was able to make enough of a recovery to make it at least a question about whether the guy was going to catch it. But, you know, so if he had been in a better position or if they had been able to recognize it better, um, you know, they could have potentially stopped those. And really, you know, it, I, I, if, if we had like one or two of those games, then you could say, yeah, the guy just got beat. But it's happening play after play after play. And there's just no way at this point that you can say all of it is execution. If it's that much, you know, if there's that many problems with execution, that means that the coaching staff either hasn't recruited anybody that can execute any better, or they're not working with these guys to get them better on their execution. It's one of those two things. And either of those are not a good thing for a coaching staff at the D1 level to be saying that they're, you know, dealing with. Um, so, yeah, it's just been complete failures all around, I think, at this point. And, uh, you know, we, we, we keep getting the, the positive look from the coaches. The coaches keep saying, man, we're so close. We're going to get this turned around. It's to the point where everybody is, is tuning out what they say. Um, and, yeah, and that's, right. I mean, if, if tonight is rant night, that's probably my main rant is that I, you know, I'm sick and tired of that coach speak bull crap because um, that's that's what it is at this point is they're just they're just feeding us the same crap over and over. And some people, as evidenced by comments on our Facebook page, are still eating it up. But I think the smarter fans are getting, at the very least, getting impatient with us and. And it's, you know, you mentioned Benton Smith at the journal at the LJW earlier, like, 
I don't know how much longer it's going to be until he blocks me on Twitter because <laughs> we keep going back and forth about, uh, you know, about the sunshine and rainbows from the Lawrence Journal world. Like all they, all I see from them is, well, we made progress here and well, there's still something to look forward to here. And it's, it's, they haven't written a negative, except outside of Tom Keegan, I guess they haven't written a negative thing about the program in how many years, like it's ridiculous. And, and, other, and they're not the only ones either. Like Jesse Newell predicted, can you beat Baylor in the Kansas City Star? Like, quit drinking the Kool-Aid. What is wrong with these beat writers that that the that David Beatty's attitude is, is – I mean, is, is that a fair question? Is David Beatty's attitude influencing the coverage of the team? Like, it's ridiculous. It, the program is dog shit, okay? Pardon my French. That's what it is. And we keep getting articles about, oh, maybe this is the week when KU pulls one out over Wendless Baylor, and they lose by four touchdowns. It was, it's bad. I think I think part of it too, though, has to just deal with the fact that, you know, we as as a uh, a fan site essentially don't have to worry about subscribers. You know, we don't we don't, right. yeah. we don't make people pay to access our stuff. Um, you know, we don't really derive a lot of that. So we're, we are free to give our honest opinions about that. Some of these beat writers, one, they have to maintain relationships with, and I'm not saying that they're, um, you know, that they're just reporting flat-out falsehoods or anything like that. But, you know, any kind of story, there is a way to put a positive spin on it to at least give people hope to make them want to keep tuning in to be able to, you know, pay attention and, and have some sort of hope that there's going to be improvement in the near future. And, and so I think that's a lot of it is that, you know, one, it's really hard to imagine that the program can really get any worse than it is. And so, I mean, I, I, it's really hard. We keep seeing it, you know, <laughs> but it's really hard to imagine that this is just going to keep getting worse. And so the natural thought at that point is, well, it's going to have to get better at some point. You know, what, what better time is there for that than to play a team that has been absolutely horrible this year in Baylor. I can at least understand someone thinking there was a possibility we could win. I thought there was a possibility we could win, but I also have been a Kansas fan and a Kansas City Royals fan long enough to know, you know, that when it's going bad, it goes really bad. And it, it's really hard to see when you're finally going to get out of that. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I like to be optimistic about the team, but I understand just – how well these things can balloon and then keep rolling and, and, and accumulating that way. And so, you know, I'm personally not surprised by it, but I can, I can at least understand why, you know, some guys every once in a while would still be willing to look for the positive and willing to report on the positive, especially when, you know, a lot of the readers still want to hear positive things about the team. There are, you know, positive things we could find about this team in terms of individual players, um, you know, or things like that. I mean, maybe, Maybe some of the coaches are doing some some decent things, like Meacham. You know, you could find positives about what Meacham's doing. You could still report positives about what Hull's been doing with recruiting, even though, you know, that wonderful recruiting class that he was able to to pretty much put together on his own is falling apart just because of what we have on the field. I mean, there are ways to find positive stories and to convince yourself that there is something positive to look for, too. But, you know, we've just seen enough. We don't have to necessarily worry about that. We can call it like we see it, and I just don't see any way that this is going to get better. Um, you know, we, we said in one of our last podcasts that Baby's positive attitude is actually hurting the program at this point, and we got a lot of people agreeing. That actually was the highest, you know, the, the most people have listened to that episode of any episode we've ever done. And I think it's because that message is resonating so well that Beatty, 
you know, Beatty is just putting on that same facade, that same, you know, face of, hey, everything's fine. We're going to deny that we have any huge problems. It's all going to get better. And everybody is tired of it, whether they're willing to admit it to themselves or not. Everybody is tired of the performance that we have. And to be honest, I probably would feel better about Beatty if he would admit publicly that this is unacceptable, that things are not going in the right direction, we need to make changes, and that people need to be held accountable. If he would come out tomorrow in a press conference and say that, you know, and say that they are going to find out, you know, they are going to go evaluate what needs to change, they are going to work, they're going to find people to bring in, I would at least give him the benefit of the doubt of having, you know, being able to try to do that. If he can recognize the problem and say that they're going to work on it. But he's pretending, you know, he's, he stuck his head in the sand and pretending that nothing is happening, that nothing is wrong, that it's just a matter of guys not going out to execute. And we know that that's not the case. We have, we have guys that routinely show up, like we've talked about in the past, on the pro football focus, you know, best defenders in the country. Uh, we've had that happen several times. You know, we've had that happen. We have offensive guys that show up on, you know, the best in the Big 12, uh, defensive guys that show up on the best in the Big 12. It's not like we have a bunch of guys that don't know what they're doing. Uh, we have a bunch of talented guys. We just, they're not being put in a situation where we can use that talent to get the results on the field. And that can only come back on the coaches. The guys, you know, the, the players out there are not calling the plays. The players out there are not adjusting people uh, when they recognize, you know, coverages or, I'm sorry, when they recognize schemes and, and are, you know, making adjustments and it's not working out. Everything is coming in from the coaches. So if something is not working, then a large portion of the blame has to fall on the coaches, and they're not willing to take any kind of responsibility for it at this point. Yeah, and going back to uh, – that was kind of a long-winded rant there, but yeah. uh, going, going back to kind of the beginning of that, I I get where some of the optimism came from, like some of the advanced stats. I know S&P Plus had us at, at a coin flip game with K you had a 49% chance to win. But you know what? As great as advanced stats are and as much as some people love those, like – the, the advanced stats don't watch this team play every week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I feel like I knew what to expect going into that game, and we got exactly what I expected. You know, I didn't – I expected a – no, I think I predicted a three-touchdown loss, and we ended up losing by four. So, four touchdowns. Um, but it's just – like, it's getting to the point where, you know, stats can't – and, and maybe they never have really been able to do that, but stats can't predict what's going to happen in a Kansas football game anymore. You know, you play K-State to within 10 points, and then you lose to Baylor by four touchdowns. Um, and I, there was one point in uh, – well, it was the, maybe the, the, the press conference before the week before the Baylor game where I, I believe David Beatty compared his first year at KU where they went 0-12 to this year's Baylor team, I assume due to the number of walk-ons and right. scholarships and whatever. But, I mean, this year, Baylor's only been blown out twice this year. The rest of their games have been competitive games, including against Oklahoma, uh, West Virginia, like some really good teams. Right. And, and that 2015 Kansas team only played two competitive games. Like, it – you see what I'm saying? Like oh. that, that 2015 KU team got blown out ten times. This Baylor team has only been blown out twice, and and, <laughs> and we still get to play Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State this year. So my third point here is: what is rock bottom? 
Is Rock Bottom losing at home to 0-8 Baylor by four touchdowns? Is Rock Bottom losing by 80 points to Texas next week? Because you know they're going to try to run the score up on us after what happened last year. Oh, yeah. You know, is Rock Bottom losing at home on senior night to Oklahoma by 70? Like, what is Rock Bottom? Uh, is it a combination? Is it losing our last three games by, you know, 100, 180 to 10? Like, every time, you know, and I keep seeing this this on Twitter, um, you know, former Kansas City Royals manager, Buddy Bell, you know, he, his his famous quote is, never say it can't get any worse. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, how bad is it going to get these last three games? Uh, and if we count this Baylor game, I mean, <laughs> if we're at the bottom, we're going to be scraping it for the next three weeks probably because – I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure how how we look any better the rest of the way. Like it's 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 ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. And so so I think I'll I'll go ahead and end the the rant session with just one final thought, and I'll talk here for a few minutes, and I'll let you go ahead and jump in. Um, going back to an article that I think most people kind of missed um, last week. It was it was actually last Friday. We had it in our news and notes. Um, but, again, another story by Benton Smith from the Lawrence Journal World. Oh, my favorite writer. Right. Well, t- talking about Mike <laughs> Lee, you know, lost his starting job for the K-State game. And he has some really good quotes in there that, again, I don't think that this coaching staff really necessarily thinks about how what they're saying to the media can easily be turned back around on them. And I wish there was more media members that were willing to do this. Um, Actually, one one thing we've kind of been throwing around, and I think I'm going to end up doing this hopefully tomorrow um, on on Tuesday or more maybe Wednesday, will be to write an open letter to the chancellor, um, kind of laying out you know what the problem is, what the fans are seeing, and what you know why we need him to do something. Even if he comes out and doesn't necessarily fire guys, but makes a statement to the effect of you know we're holding we're going to hold people accountable, and you know even if it's we wait till the end of the year to do it. Um, you know, we're going to do something essentially. Uh, we'll, we'll evaluate people. That even is, you know, just something that the fan base needs to know that there's going to be accountability. And the reason for that would be an article. I'm sorry, would be a quote from Clint Bowen inside that article about Mike Lee getting benched. And he says, you know, he's talking about Bowen was was anticipating that Lee was going to get refocused after he lost his starting job and that he was going to be able to, you know, perform a lot better. He goes, he says here, he says, at some point in time, you have to fix your mistakes, and if you don't fix them, there's got to be some accountability for it. Now, think about what that statement is saying. That he's saying, now, he's talking about a specific player, but this is about the entire program at this point, because it's not, he's not just talking about Lee, he's talking about everybody on the team, and that should extend beyond the players to the coaching staff, you know. You have to fix your mistakes or there has to be accountability for it. You know, that's, that's the message that we really need to be getting through here. And that's the <laughs> that it's pretty to- hilarious considering the source. I get what you're saying. Exactly. Bowen, in his entire time at Kansas, has not been held accountable for the mistakes that he's made. When he has been in charge of the defense, it has been one of the worst performing defenses in all of, in all of Division I football. Um, you know, the only time that, that he was, quote-unquote, in charge – was back when he was on Mangino's staff and he was a co-defensive coordinator um, with, I believe... Bill Young, right? With Young, right, I believe. And once Young left, the defense declined horribly. You know, he's had enough enough high-level talent 
he should be able to put a respectful defense together, and yet we have not ever seen one. Somehow, you know, he's been able to keep a hold of his job, um, and really the only explanation that we've ever gotten for it, and we've talked about this again multiple times, um, you know, is that he's a Kansas guy. He absolutely loves Kansas. He knows what it's like or knows what it means to be able to coach at a place like Kansas which is great and all. I mean, I, I want to have coaches that want to be here, but I also want to have coaches that are competent at their job and they're held accountable for the jobs that they do. Um, before, do, do you want to jump in there real quick before I jump to the next point? Because it, it sounds like you got something to say. <laughs> well, no, uh, here, here's all I want to do. I just want to ask you a couple of real quick questions. All right. Okay, that, they should be real simple. So, Andy, did you go to KU? Yes, I did. Do you love the university? Oh, absolutely. Would you make a horrible defensive coordinator? Yes, most definitely. <laughs> well, there, there you go, because that's what we have in Clint Bowen. So, I mean, that, that's kind of all I wanted to say there. Is, you know, I also love KU, but I also would make, uh, you know, a terrible athletic director. So, I mean, it, it, it's just hilarious to me in these, in these interviews when these guys are asked about, um, you know, I guess whatever, but well, like when when Beatty was asked about the Fire Zinger banner that was flown um, over the K State game, uh, you know about how it was ludicrous and you know nobody loves this university more than Shane Zinger. Well, you know what? That's not a qualification for the job, right? So stop saying it. Yeah, and so I'm going to go ahead and jump back in here because you know Beatty actually, and again in that same article, gave us another quote. Um, that shows the hypocrisy of the coaching staff and of the athletic department at this point. You know, he says, uh, again, he's talking about Lee and, and how, you know, he took that, that losing that starter status to heart. He says, yeah, I mean, the thing is you either have to show that you're going to make those improvements because it's the way that it fits into the scheme, or we've got to go to the next guy that will show us that he can do that, right? And so, again, the same idea here, you know, if you turn that around on the coaching staff, because we are talking about the team as a whole here, everybody on this team should be held accountable for the contribution that they're making. If they are not going to be able to contribute in such a way that it fits into the scheme and causes improvement in the team, then we've got to go to the next guy at some point. And we're well past the point where, you know, this, this coaching staff has had plenty of opportunities to show that they're going to be able to improve, that they're going to be able to get these guys to where they need to be to have a successful season. And they just have not been able to do it at all. And they're not holding themselves accountable. They're not holding the other coaches accountable. The only people they're trying to hold accountable are the players, the ones that are out there every single time, you know, trying as hard as they possibly can. We've heard from player after player who talks about how, you know, everybody is giving the maximum effort, effort that they can, and they're just not able to get it done. They're just not doing it for whatever reason. And I know right. that. And, I, and let me interrupt you real quick, Andy. Like, I, I want to, you're making a good point there. I, and I, I just kind of want to double down on we're not dogging on the players. Like, right. like I mean, they're, they're college kids are out there doing what their coaches are telling them to do. At least I assume they are, or they wouldn't be playing. Like, you know, you know, they're, they're giving their effort. They're, they're putting in the practice time. They're doing their push ups. You know, they're doing everything that they are being told to do. But their leadership isn't isn't good enough. They're not being led in the right direction, I don't think. Um, you know, and I just wanted to, because I, I, I wonder if that kind of gets confused, uh, you know, for example, on the Facebook crowd or whatever, where, you know, people are accusing us of not supporting the team and not supporting the university and that kind of stuff. No, that's exactly what we're doing. Uh, you know, we're not dogging on these players. We're dogging on the coaches. We're dogging on the administrators. We're dogging on the people who are making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to do their jobs. And, and not doing them well. 
Right. Yeah, so, I mean, jumping back in here again to the article, because I think this article kind of gives a lot of, of excellent insights in the way things are working. You know, talking about how Lee moved, uh, how, how, how Mike Lee moved from, I guess the way that they describe him is the field safety or the bench safety position. So free safety or strong safety. Um, so he was at free safety to start the year. and He wasn't really getting a lot of balls thrown his way. Uh, he was off the ball a lot. Uh, and so he just wasn't really having the kind of impact that we were expecting, especially after, you know, the way he showed he could tackle last year. Um, so they moved him over to the quote-unquote bench safety or strong safety position. Um, and then, you know, when they did that, though, either he was out of place, which, again, sounds like a coaching issue because they're not scheming correctly, or using Shocker. proper techniques. Again, he's a sophomore. So, you know, he had a lot of big hits as a freshman, but he didn't necessarily learn, you know, a lot of that was – being able to be in the right place at the right time and just naturally, you know, big hits. I remember a lot of his big hits in the Texas game. They were not good technique hits, but he was able to make a big enough impact by just, you know, ramming into somebody that he was able to make a lot of big tackles or, or just make a lot of big plays. And that was kind of the way, you know, his freshman season was defined. But he was a true freshman um, who, you know, was, was young for being a true freshman. I think the big story we had last year was that, you know, when he was playing that in, in that Texas game, I believe it was the same week as what should have been his, his senior prom. Right, yeah. So he's a very raw player, a very young player, who over an entire off season in the summer, in the spring camp and in the summer, you know, the summer practices, the coaching staff should have been teaching him what are those proper techniques that he wasn't doing before. You know, where is he supposed to be to be able to get that, you know, get in the right locations to be able to make the right plays. So they move him to a spot that he hadn't been in and didn't give him the proper coaching to get him back to where he needed to be to be playing at, at a high level. Um, again, this is all an indictment on the coaching staff. The guy's obviously given a lot of effort. They obviously saw he had the ability to be able to be successful there. But for whatever reason, they didn't follow up with the coaching that's needed in order for someone to be successful. You know, even though they're both safety positions, uh, you know, my entire understanding of how the defense works and again, this is, you know, middle school football. <laughs> and then what I've been able to pick up by talking with coaches and, uh, and players. And, um, you know, I actually, I, I had a good friend when I lived down in Florida who was on the, the training and coaching staff for the, uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a while. You know, I, I know guys that ha are successful at coaching who know what they're talking about. And they're saying that every single position with, with the, with the difference of, you know, like, the the left the, the cornerback on the left side of the field and the one on the right side of the field or you know the defensive end on the left side of the line or the right side of the line pretty much every single position that you can play as a defense as a defender is completely different so you you think about two safeties that are supposed to be doing similar sorts of things but typically one safety is is more about coverage and the other guy is more about run protection there's right. a lot of differences from one safety position to the next. If you don't have the proper coaching, moving a guy from one of those to the other, he's not going to be successful immediately. You've got to give him time, you know, to, to work in and understand what the differences are in his assignments, the differences are in what his responsibilities are uh, to cover guys, to, to make tackles, to do everything he needs to do to help the defense run. And so to make that change, and then to say that the problem is, you know, out of place or technique, those are both coaching issues. Those are both things that coaches should be working with a young guy to learn correctly. And so, you know, to go then bench the guy because he's not doing it correctly, uh, just it doesn't make any sense that you don't hold any kind of accountability for that. If the article had said, right, 
you know, he's not doing what he was, you know, he's, he's not handling the assignment as well as he should have been, you know, so we need to go ahead and go in with him and, and teach him a few things and, and give him a few pointers on how he can do it. And then once he shows he can implement that, then we'll get him back in the starting spot. No, what they said is, oh, well, his effort wasn't really there. He wasn't getting where he needed to be. You know, and so once he can show that he can do that and can start making plays, well, then we'll, we'll go ahead and play him again. But that's not the way it works. You know, if a guy's not performing, even in the pros, if a guy's not performing, the coach's responsibility is to find out why he's not performing, what can the coaching staff do to help him get in the position to perform better, and then implementing that and, you know, and working that into the game plan. And we're just not seeing any of that follow-up work from the coaches to get that done. They may be trying to do it behind the scenes, but they're not talking about it. They're not letting us know that that's what's going on. And if they are doing it, then it's not working. So, you know, we, we've, we're left with the optics of, of two things that are, that are both bad. Either the guys aren't competent enough to do it properly so that we can see the results on the field, or they're just not doing it in the first place and leaving the blame all on the players. And either way, that's not what you can do at a Division I school, you know, that is trying to recover from the, probably the worst period in its program history. Uh, you know, 10-year period there, um, you can't have that kind of performance from the coaches and expect it to be successful at all. So if that's what we're going to continue to see, uh, I I don't want to see another year of it. I want to see someone making a change, whether it's these guys making a change, holding themselves publicly accountable and saying, you know, we're going to do something to fix this. We recognize that this is an issue. Or if it's just cleaning out the entire staff and starting over because, I can guarantee you that a brand new staff coming in is not going to be as hands off and is not going to be as, I mean, I can't think of a better way to say it other than lazy about doing their jobs and developing these players. Yeah. And Yannick, you hit on it there in your last sentence, uh, you know, player development has been the, the bugaboo here for 10 years. I mean, Turner Gill didn't do any of that. Uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, he did recruit guys like, what, Heaney and Shepard, and, like, they had some good recruits and some guys that they sent to the NFL, but, you know, and, and some of those guys performed here, but then Charlie Weiss got a hold of them, and, <laughs> I mean, he obviously didn't develop anybody because he just recruited a bunch of Juco guys and threw them out there and expected to win. And and now we're we're faced with, um, you know, like the, the entire offensive line on, on Saturday, the starters were all true sophomores. Well, they were, they were all sophomores. I don't know if they're all true sophomores or not. That may be an overstatement. But they're all sophomores. So um, I don't know if that tells us anything about David Beatty's ability to develop players or not. Like, do you give them the one more year to, to try and win with a bunch of juniors, you know, with Mike Lee and Dorrance Armstrong and, and that offensive line being a bunch of juniors? Or, you know, ha- have we seen enough to where, you know, you want a candy, but then you get into the – to the whole, you know, chicken or the egg thing. Like, do you really want Zinger making another football hire? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a mess. And, and I think you got to start at the top. Uh, I don't care. I'd rather, obviously, rather Zinger fired sooner rather than later, so that way you can get a new guy in who can evaluate David Beatty and and whatever, you know. And and maybe the new guy wants to give him a year, and that's fine. You know, I'd be okay with that if we had a new athletic director. So give me a year to evaluate the football program, and we'll see what we have. And you know that. I'd be okay with that. Yep. But, uh, you know, it's, it's either that or it's fire everybody. And and kind of like Fetch said a couple of weeks ago, like, you know, normally I'm not one to advocate for people losing their jobs, but these guys are millionaires. Like, they're going to have buyouts. 
they're they're going to go get other jobs after this. Um, there are plenty of people who would take their jobs. Uh, you know, people always ask, well, if you're going to fire David Beatty, who are you going to get? Well, you know what? We'll go get the Tulane coach or the Army coach or the Central Florida coach or the, you know, whoever. There's dozens of guys out there that would be interested and probably more qualified for the head coaching job and for the assistant jobs. Um, you know, I'm not concerned about getting somebody at all. Right. So, and it's not like we're carrying a bad contract. Like the, the, the Beatty hire at the time I completely understood because we were still carrying life of contract. You know, right. we, we were still dealing with a lot of financial issues. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, Zenger kicked off a, a huge fundraiser. And while obviously, you know, we still have to go ahead and actually meet those goals, but, you know, we're, we're in a situation now where people are le- we're legitimately talking about not necessarily having a problem raising $300 million for facilities. Like, I mean, you know, the, the, the mood around the athletic program was, was so positive in these last, you know, just in the last six months that it didn't, no one batted an eye at the thought of, oh, well, can Kansas actually raise $300 million at this facility? No, I mean, we all thought going into this year that, you know, the football team was going to show some improvement, that, you know, there was enough positivity around the, around the program at this point that, yeah, it's a no-brainer. They'll be able to raise the $300 million. Um, it won't even necessarily take that long. And then, you, you know, compound that with what we thought was going to be, you know, improvement on the field. And all of a sudden, Kansas maybe has a viable program, whether Beatty can get them over the hump and get them, you know, consistently bowl eligible or not. Um, was still remained to be seen just given his, his resume. But, you know, it looked like we had a huge recruiting class coming in. I mean, everything was going really well for this, for this team, but what it was doing or for, for the program, but what, what happened is it, you know, that win against Texas really, you know, papered over the fact that this team has not been able to develop players at all. Um, this coaching staff has not been able to do any kind of development with any of the players that they got. You know, that's even the one thing I'll say about Weiss is that, you know, Weiss, sure, he didn't, he didn't like have any long-term development uh, players, but he was able to, he still had quite a few guys that were able to develop throughout the year, you know, that from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, they were getting better. Um, one, because, you know, he was, he was actually scheming around the guys that he had, so he was able to utilize their natural talent. Um, a lot better than we've seen from Beatty and, and, and the rest of his staff. Um, and, and so for all the faults that Charlie Weiss had, the one positive thing that you could definitely say about him was that, you know, he was at least able to put guys in a position to succeed and to be able to develop somewhat. Now, it didn't happen fast enough for us to really get any good results out of it um, overall. But there was at least some indication there, you know, that, that at least some of the guys were going to get better or that we – we maybe would have had a chance, um, you know, if we had actually recruited a, a good talent base to start with. Um, but, you know, that, that was the main, the main issue there was that Charlie Weiss was going for the quick fix. Um, right. So we brought in a bunch of, you know, junior college guys that were, were better than the, than the freshmen he could bring in, but they often weren't around for nearly as long. So we couldn't allow them to develop. We couldn't, we couldn't really take advantage of that high well, level of – Most of them didn't play, didn't, either didn't make it to campus or didn't play anyway. Well, so, yeah, that was the other problem. There was all kinds yeah, of that was, that was, yeah, um, yeah, you know. So, and, and the only thing I'm I have to say to, on the yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to say that Charlie Weiss was was good by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. no, he at least showed the ability to use the talent that he had in a way that made some sense, and to at least help guys develop minimally throughout the season. We've seen way too many guys regress under this this coaching staff uh, that we currently have. 
And we're just, I mean, we're not seeing anything that you need from, from a successful program to, to build from anything. I mean, I, right. I, I just don't know how it gets better at this point. And, right, which goes back to player development. Right. And the, the last thing that I want to say on that is that we've got four guys projected all-conference players. Wise, Armstrong, Denise, Mike Lee. All one, of those guys, one of those guys was the preseason, preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Made headlines across the country. That player has one sack in, what, eight or nine games. Yep. That's, that's regression. That's regression. He, he's allegedly, by the media, you know, which take that for what it's worth, but he's allegedly the best defensive player in the Big 12, and he has one sack this year. Well, I mean, and he and he's not surrounded by a bunch of scrubs, by a bunch of two-star guys that were going to, you know, Division two schools before they walked on to Kansas. I mean, he's surrounded by other talented players that were all pre, you know, preseason all-conference selections, and he has one sack. Like, and again, I'm not ragging on the player. Whatever it is, whether it's schematic or whatever it is, it's it's on the coaches for his production is on the coaches. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. You know, you could say that it would just be, you know, people focusing on him if other guys, you know, and, and not on the scheme, if other guys were picking up the production that he's losing. Because then you could say, you know, well, he's still that, uh, you know, it's, it's the way, the way like um, Justin Houston for a long time in, in Kansas City, you know, he'd get held and people would focus on him so much that other guys would get tons of sacks. Um, you know, you'd see, you know, defensive linemen like Don, Don Tari Poe and a bunch of other people that they couldn't focus on as much. So they would get in there. And so you would see the production. You, you would see Houston's effect on the game by the stats the other guys were putting up that they hadn't done before um, or, you know, that, that weren't, like, representative of what you thought those guys were. Now, I mean, so we're not, we're not seeing any of that, that stat shift, you know, from – uh, Armstrong over to other guys. You know, the entire right, production right. System, the defensive unit is down. The only guy that's really performing at a level that he thought he was going to uh, would be Joe Denis. And and honestly, it's only because so many so many runs. It's because the defensive line has been so bad that somebody has to make the tackle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so many runs are getting to the second level, or there's so many receivers that Denis is just chasing down. You know, seven or eight yards down the field, but way over at the sideline. Um, you know. Deneen has been a beast at that linebacker position. And really the only reason his stats are as good as they are is because everybody else has not been performing the level that we expect. And we know we have talented guys. I mean, I still think that someone like, um, like Daniel Wise or Dorrance Armstrong has a really good shot at being drafted in the first or second round of the NFL draft. And if we, well, you're, you're, you're high. Well, I mean, I think now the, the first round – I think would have required these guys to keep putting up, you know, those, those huge numbers for this year. But going into the year, you know, we, we, we had talked about it. I think everybody agreed that we could have seen Dorrance Armstrong going in the second round. I mean, I don't think that was really in question, just based off the year he had and what we expected him to do this year. You know, and, and I, think, I think with his measurables and, and, and what he's been able to show, um, you know, I, I think there's still an outside chance that he could go in one of the first two rounds. But it's going to take one. It's going to take the coaching change because um, because I just don't think he can have another year like he had this year, next year, and still um, be able to get that same sort of buzz. Um, but you know, I, I still think he can have the measurables in the combine that's going to push him up a lot higher than a lot of people think that he's going to be. 
and you know it's going to be the, just the fact that they're not they're not being considered as such right now. They're not really being talked about as the caliber players they are is just because the team is performing as horribly as they are. And so I, I suppose that you have a point. I mean, you know, just going back to your Dontari Poe example from a few minutes ago, like he didn't put up great stats at Memphis, but he was a first round pick. So, and that, and that was at Memphis at a CUSA school. So, uh, I mean, you, you maybe have a point, but I still feel like there's got to be some production there somewhere and we're just not getting that this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, the, the, the Dontari Poe situation, he actually had put up a lot of numbers, um, two years before he was drafted, but he was, you know, he's kind of in the, he was in the same situation his last year that Armstrong is this year and that he had a phenomenal season, you know, before he went or two years before he went to the draft, but that last one before people kind of focused on him a little bit and the team wasn't as good. And, and so his numbers for his last season just didn't, didn't add up. His measurables at the combine and his performance at the combine was so phenomenal and the Chiefs decided to, you know, take a, take a chance on him and it worked out well for him. Um, but everybody was scratching their head on that because it's like, look, the numbers he put up in college weren't really that great that last year. And, you know, if, if Armstrong were to go this year, um, you know, he would have the same sort of issue, I think, is that a lot of people – he'd have to, like, absolutely kill it at the combine to have a realistic shot of being – um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's got better support from the school and from the program and from the coaching staff to be able to push himself up in that level. But he's definitely – I mean, he, he's, he's definitely got the talent for it. The problem is I don't think he's going to be put in a situation where he can show off that talent. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think that's where I was getting with that. When, when we were talking preseason about, you know, and, 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 and the prediction that I had that we would have a, a first-round draft pick, because um, I was expecting that we would actually have a chance for these guys that are that talented to show off that talent. And we just, we just don't have that anymore. Like, I, I'm not confident that any of these guys are even going to go in the first day or the first or second day of the draft based on the performance that they have just because, you know, like they all have the talent. I mean, I could see, I could see Deneen playing in the league. I could see Wise playing in the league. I could even see Mike Lee if he, you know, continues to develop, you know, how hard he hits potentially, you know, jumping in as a late round or an undrafted free agent and making an impact. Like we have talented guys on this roster. They're just not being in, put in positions to show that talent for people to really see what they can do. And, I mean, it's, it's just un, unfortunate for these guys because, you know, if we waste these guys' talent, I don't know that we're going to be able to get players as talented in, in the recruiting. We have so many guys that are jumping ship from our recruiting class, and I just don't know how we can expect to, to keep them and keep building on that if we're wasting these guys that we have so spectacularly. Yeah, I just want to know how much we're paying – Devontae Jason and Corion Harris, because those are the two most highly rated recruits that we had, and they're like the only two that haven't decommitted yet. I mean, I guess we still have like 10 guys in the class, but you get what I'm saying. Like, uh, yeah. I, I, I have no hopes that they're going to sign with us in either December or February. Like, I just don't see it. Maybe we'll be surprised, but <laughs> but even if they do, do you have any confidence that the staff is going to utilize them properly? Or, Not really. you know, is one of them going to be a linebacker and another one a safety two years from now? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, because that, that kind of gets into the Daylon Char- Charlotte situation. Like, our dude was amazing in the spring game. You know, five-star recruit, goes to Alabama as a receiver, and he's our backup safety now? Like, what the hell is going on? 
So I, you know, I just <laughs> I have no confidence in this coaching staff yeah. at all. All right. Well, I think we've uh, gone enough on enough of a rant. <laughs> we'll go ahead and, and drop the football coverage at this point. Uh, the only other, well, since our last podcast, we actually recorded that one while Kansas was uh, Kansas soccer was playing TCU that that evening. Uh, Kansas did lose in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. Uh, to TCU, four to two in a shootout, um, which was really exciting to listen to. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it. The, the online stream wasn't working for me. Um, you know, I was really hoping that the, the the soccer team, you know, they had some pretty some pretty amazing results early in the year. Um, like I had mentioned on our last podcast, they upset USC, defending defending national champions USC um, in a match early in the year. Uh, you know, they they beat Texas at one point in the year. Um, but I hadn't realized that they actually lost as many as they did. I believe they ended the season um, eight, eleven, and one. I may be wrong. Yeah. That. But um, yeah, they were picked to finish second in the Big Twelve and ended up with a losing record. So not a good uh-oh. season. Did not live up to the hype, I guess, as as has <laughs> been expected. Bennett. But you know, I mean, I believe it was a fairly young team, so there's a lot to to be excited for moving into next season. Um, unfortunately, you know, they just kind of weren't able to keep going. So. Uh, but we also had uh, KU Volleyball over the weekend. They uh, beat TCU in four sets. Uh, I thought they were going to sweep it, but TCU was able to pull out set number three. Yeah. But, yeah, it was – I mean, it was a good performance. Madison Rigdon did not play. She was uh, suffering right. – or recovered from an injury. Um, there actually is no no indication yet on when she will be back, hopefully fairly soon. Um, yeah, they've got K-State on Wednesday, and I do plan on being there, but I don't know if she'll play or not. And- I, I, K-State's probably good enough that they may need her. I, I hope not, but, uh, you know, I guess we'll find out on Wednesday night. Right. We've got uh, K-State on Wednesday, and then if I remember correctly, they've got Baylor. Uh, on Saturday. Yep. Saturday. And then next week is the big matchup against Texas down in Austin. Yep. The one that they absolutely have to have if they have any hope. Have to have it. Yeah. Well, at this point, they have to have that head if they want to at least get a tie for first. So, yeah. That's true. Texas is still undefeated. Right. I could see them in conference play, right? Undefeated in the conference play. Um, I, I could see them maybe dropping one to like an Iowa State or maybe a Baylor at the end of the season, um, but that's not going to matter if we can't, you know, steal that one down in Austin. So yeah, that'll yeah. be real big. I think um, we'll 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 see what we can do. But I, I know we had talked with uh, Jill Jill Dorsey Hall about coming back on the podcast at some point. That might be a good time. Um, it, well, that's probably the, the the best time would be next week if we're going to do it again during the regular season. Otherwise, we'll get her again before the NCAA tournament. But yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah. So volleyball is definitely something still to look forward to, and obviously, um, the start of basketball season is is a big, a big, big thing around here. Basketball? What's what is this basketball you speak of? This round ball sport that we're actually good in. I mean, gosh. Well, um, you're thinking volleyball. Round, bouncy. Oh yeah, good, good point. Well, yeah, but this one <laughs> has actually bounced on the ground. So, oh well, I guess you've never played volleyball. So, all right, but yeah, so basketball uh, <laughs> play, but this will come out same day as the next exhibition. Um, you know, we have that on Tuesday night, and then the season actually opens up on Friday. I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked Fetch on our last episode. Um, I think David, the episode before that, how excited are you at this point for basketball season to start? Well, Andy, if anybody listening to this is a regular reader or even yourself, 
you know that I have the curse of being much bigger football fan than I am basketball fan. Basketball has just always kind of been of a nice, you know, a nice little bonus for me. Oh, hey, hey, we're good at basketball. So, you know, I'll let you guys do the, the basketball stuff and, and I'll just whine about football, I guess. But, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I don't get into it until conference play starts. Um, if you want to call me a bandwagon basketball fan, that's fine. You know, I'll watch the, you know, if we play Kentucky or Duke or Michigan State or somebody like that, yeah, I'll watch those games. But, sorry, I'm probably not going to watch us take on, you know, Borja State or Towson or, you know, like those kind of games. Like, I just I just don't okay. care. <laughs> and that's fair. You're like, um, I think, probably about 50 to 60% of the nation that doesn't really pay attention to basketball at all until, you know, after the end, the NFL is over. So I think it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a horrible thing. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, once conference play starts, I'm all in, but until that point, I'm just like, if it's a big game, I'll turn it on. But it's just like, and I don't need to watch another 90 to 65 blowout. Yeah. Good point. I mean, I, I can definitely, I can definitely see the logic behind that. Um, I think me just being a, a sports fan in general, you know, those that have been listening to the podcast uh, know that I, I pretty much will watch uh, – I'll watch pretty much any sports. I mean, I watched cricket for a month when the <laughs> the Indian Cricket League or something. Uh, I got bored one time at work and started streaming it. And, what, you know, somehow it wasn't blocked. So I, I literally was watching that for like a month straight while I was working. So, uh, yeah, I'll watch any random kind of sport and get excited about it. So. Um, you know, some we're actually good at that I understand all the rules for. Yeah, count me in. But you know, I, I definitely understand people that don't really see the the need to you know pay attention to every game early in the season, especially since most yeah. don't really matter <laughs> determining who is actually going to the tournament or not. So yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, you know, was was there anything else you were just dying to talk about, time, Mike? No, I think we mostly got it out. All right, sounds good. So, yeah, um, like like I was saying earlier, this episode is going to drop tomorrow on, on Tuesday. Um, there will be the the exhibition game uh, later that evening. Uh, we will probably go ahead and record again sometime either Wednesday or Thursday uh, for that Friday episode. So we'll, we'll break that down. I'll probably have uh, Fetch or someone else that's basketball inclined on, on the podcast then to talk about what we've, what we've – uh, seen in these two in these two exhibitions um you know, i'm not i'm not sure that there's going to be a whole lot new to talk about but we can definitely talk about the action that we did see um and then we'll be rolling you know next next couple weeks we're going to have a lot of action both football and basketball and volleyball um so there'll be plenty of stuff to talk about in terms of game action i'm just not sure how um you know how, how much fun it's going to be to talk about all of those so uh, <laughs> yeah especially the, the football, unfortunately. So, yeah. um, you know, we can always hope that there'll be some, some good news kind of sprinkled in there in terms of the way that the department's going. But uh, you know what? At this point, just go ahead and lose the rest every game 100 to nothing. Well, there's a chance that might happen. I mean, technically. I know. <laughs> I, mean, I would say that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are probably two of the, two of the top three teams in the Big 12 right now, and yep. it's going to be out for blood considering what we yep. have. Yep, exactly. Yep. So yeah, I I would not be surprised if we lost every single one of those games by seventy points. So nope, I don't know. Yep. So oh well, well we'll have um, more to talk about. We will we will see you guys again on Friday. 
um, you know, make make sure you catch us next time. Mikey, thank you for joining me for my uh, my wonderful rants tonight, and uh, hopefully, you know, we won't have a lot more of them in the near future because something will actually happen. So, Let's hope. Yeah. Uh, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for joining me again, and thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. Podcast Network.